When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're about to hear from Stephen M. R. Covey. Sound familiar? His dad, Stephen Covey, wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which I still have on my bookshelf and see every day. And the book, of course, was a smash hit that became a global phenomenon. Stephen was a huge part of that success and helped create the Covey Leadership Center, which later merged with Franklin Quest to become Franklin Covey. In his own career, Stephen has shown what the next generation of leadership will look like. We've gone from the old guard of stodgy command and control management to a sugar-coated command and control upgrade environment. But recent reshufflings and the work from home or work from anywhere mentality that the pandemic ushered in has demonstrated a clear need for an evolved form of leadership based on inspiring people through trust. It's not a hands-off abdication of authority, just the opposite. We've seen it work for Zoom, Microsoft, and even Popeye's Chicken. Stephen M. R. Covey's book, The Speed of Trust, has sold over 2 million copies, was a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestseller. He takes it to a whole new level with his latest book, Trust and Inspire, How Truly Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others. He's a Harvard MBA, a highly sought-after international speaker. He's taught trust leadership in 55 different countries. In other words, you're going to want to listen to what he has to say. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money, and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Welcome to the Retire Sooner podcast, by the way. Thanks, Wes. Where are you live from, by the way? Are you Utah? I want to I'm say in Utah. Utah. Right I'm in Utah. I'm near the Sundance Ski Resort. Robert Redford's uh, resort, just a few minutes from there. Yeah, I love to snowboard. Um, yeah. So my one of my favorite places in the world is Park City. Where is – I've been there many yeah. times. Is that close to where you are? Yeah. Park City is, you know, what, 45 minutes. It's just around the mountain. It's just the other side of, you know, these mountains are all connected kind of. And, and, uh, and Park City is, that's the bigger ski area, of course, Deer Valley. And because Park City is now merged with the canyons, that's maybe the biggest resort there is. Yeah, it is huge. The Sundance Festival, is that not in the town of Park City or is it in where you are? Where- no, it, yeah, this is a little confusing because the Sundance Festival is done in the town of Park City because Sundance is not really a town. Sundance is a ski resort with a little bit of lodging. It's kind of typical Robert Redford. It's this underdeveloped, pristine, beautiful setting and not not hardly any commerciality. And and I think he did a couple of years of the film festival there, but there was just no capacity to hold to hold anyone, to host anyone. So they moved it to Park City. Oh, I got it. Okay. Well, yeah. for all the times that I've been to Park City, I've never been there during that festival. But maybe one day. I'm gonna put, I have to put that on the list. Yeah, for, for it's actually worth doing. In, in a sense, Sundance has become a brand. You know, the independent film studio brands and Robert Redford. So it's a brand. There is a resort called Sundance. That's, that's where this all emanated from. But the brand Sundance, they got a catalog, you know, and... And uh, the film festival is kind of the big thing, but it all—it's all all Robert Redford. Uh, well, one day I'll meet you out in uh, Park City for Sundance Film Festival. That let's fun, let's do it. <laughs> well, so that um, like a great plan. 
I'm still healing. I've still got snowboard scars. When I was out there at the very end of the the, uh, ski season, it was so warm for so many days in a row. There was so much melted snow that rocks started sticking out of the the mountain. And I ended up getting a little and it was so warm. I was just wearing a T-shirt. So I got got a little I got a little beaten up out there. So I I know (laughs) that it was not a good year this year. We've had several kind of bad years in a row. We're, we're, We're in a severe drought in the West. Well, well, next so, year will be better. I'm optimistic. I, I, I want to be, I want it to be better too. And, and, uh, because when, when the snow is good in Utah, there's, it, you know, our, our mantra is greatest snow on earth. And we got, we got sued by the Barnum and Bailey people for that. <laughs> did you, is that for real? That's really for did. real. It's for real. But, but they, they, they settled, but you know, if they felt it was too much like greatest show on earth, which was their trademark expression, greatest snow on earth. And, and, uh, but you know, <laughs> it, they settled it. It didn't go anywhere. Well, let's start with actually my first question is that speakers like you and you get, you guys have such a, you built such a great brand and it's such a great company. When I read about speakers like you, what always sticks out to me is the number of countries you end up going to and speaking. And I always think of speakers in the United States and all the conferences and that we, we used to go to. Now we're going to again because COVID is now where conferences are back up and running. And I think maybe it's because of my own just human bias from over, the, over these years. All the speakers that I've seen are right here in the United States. What do you mean you're going outside to the other 40? You, you've been to like 50 countries. Where, where are you going to do all these speeches? Yeah, it's 55 now, Wes. So 55 countries on site, in person, you know, another dozen or so virtually that I don't count unless I've physically been there on site. But, um, you know, it's it's all over the world. It's in the Middle East in Dubai and and uh, Abu Dhabi. It's, uh, um, it's in Europe, in most every country in Europe, um, certainly in Western Europe, a few in the East. It's in Australia and Asia Pacific and Japan and Korea and Thailand. And, and um, you know, it's been in parts of South America and in Central America, parts of Africa. It's really all over. And, you know, including Myanmar, I mean, some Vietnam, some interesting places that, that uh, people just get interested in, in the topic of trust. My prior book, The Speed of Trust, or, the, you know, Trust and Inspire, this new book. So you end up going all over the place uh, whenever you write a book. <laughs> people people want to hear it and they want to apply it and learn it. And so it's kind of fun. It's maybe one of the best parts of the job is seeing the world and getting to know different cultures and seeing how these ideas are really universal. The principles are universal. The well, practices are very contextual and cultural. But if, if you look at the principles, they apply everywhere. With that same regard, Stephen, is when you're going to these international conferences, are they U.S.? Are people coming from the United States to these locations or are you getting these translated into other languages when you're in five different countries in Europe or, or, or all of the above? It's all of the above, but it is more that these are local companies in those countries. Okay. So it is in their native it's language. Their native that, language. They're, they're and, wanting to listen to this. You know, many countries, like in Europe, most every, everyone speaks English. Uh, but not as much in some areas, even in Europe, sometimes it's translated, but in many of the, uh, Asian countries, it's, it's almost always translated. And, um, you know, there are multinational companies that are among them, but most of these events are with companies that are based in those different countries. Done a lot in China as well. And, and, you know, companies that are based there and, uh, you know, with a translation and, and the like, and occasionally it's not translated because I'm speaking to maybe a senior level group where everyone speaks English, uh, but they're mostly uh, uh, companies based there. Although they're sometimes, you know, multinationals. And also, I do some public events where I might do a public workshop that's available to everyone. It's open enrollment, and you might get you know several hundred or a thousand people coming from all kinds of different organizations, including the big multinationals. But it's kind of surprising. Well, when you got a massive brand and a book like you, you're, you're talking in the hundreds of thousands. So I'm, <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. 
But let's get to that. Maybe we start with, and I want to talk about the speed of trust and then trust and inspire, which is your latest book. I think maybe we just start with, I know that you you played a role in helping advocate and let's say market the seven habits of highly effective people, which again, it was your father. Mm-hmm. I don't know what book, was that his first book or his, yeah. just his core that, that, that book? Was what happened with that? book for business audience was the seven habits. And, and the thing about it, Wes, is he'd been teaching it, you know, for about 10 years before the book actually was published. He was presenting all over on seven habits and kind of refined it and worked on it. And so there's already kind of a built in audience that of people that really liked it. And, and the book was the last thing to come. Oh, it usually, it's usually the other way around, right? The book usually precedes all the Yeah, speeches. I do remember that part of it. That's right. He'd been teaching been, that. And then were you already then part of that organization? Yes. I, and then tell yeah, me that story. I, so I joined out of uh, uh, Harvard Business School, got my MBA there. I'd been at Covey before I went to, before I'd done, you know, right out of, right out of, right out of undergraduate school, I worked at Covey for like six months. But then I got another job with a real estate development company in Texas, Trammell Crow Company, then went to Harvard Business School so coming out of, of Harvard, I kind of was waiting, you know, weighing my options. And I had an option to go to Wall Street. I'd done a summer internship there. And that was fun, exciting. I had an option to go back to the real estate development company. And then my dad said, come join us because we're about to, to launch the Seven Habits book. And I knew the Seven Habits book was going to go big because for 10 years, everyone that heard it, loved it, responded to it. And so I thought maybe I could be part of something that's exciting and and um, and that's you know has a chance to make a dent in the universe to quote Steve Steve Jobs type of thing make a difference have an impact and and uh, so I I chose to join up with my my father and his firm Covey Leadership Center and then I you know did a number of things I mostly initially sold and was a client partner and did sales and then I led a sales team. Then I led the sales organization, and then I was asked to be the the CEO to lead this and to try to scale the company so that we we went from Stephen R. Covey, the person, into Covey Leadership Center, the firm, and we went from Seven Habits, the book, into really a leadership development company that could work with people all over the world with Seven Habits and other materials for leadership. So I, you know, part of my job was to really grow the business, scale the business build a business model that worked because Wes, we were so mission driven and my father was so mission driven. We were doing all kinds of things that had an impact on people, but we couldn't make any money at it. It was a hobby. <laughs> you know, it, it, you can yeah. only be in so many hobbies yeah. uh, before, you know, where you can't make money. And, and so we, we had to adopt the mantra. If there's no margin, there's no mission. No margin, no. And we figured mission. out a business like model that. to try to do this. That was kind of my <laughs> role, uh, coming from my background in business, to try to figure out how to scale this, build a business model that was commensurate with the impact of the content. That was the idea. Okay, so how big did that get, and then where did that lead to today? So we got to where we we're, you know, at, what was it, 112 million, which by leadership company standards at the time in in the mid 90s 1997 was as big as they got and yeah, you know huge. operating all around the world and then we we merged our company with Franklin Quest that had been the time management conglomerate you know the old Franklin planner and and everything Franklin and, Covey planner yeah, yeah of course yeah. so we merged the leadership development company with the time management company to form Franklin Covey and that was clear back in 1997 and um and and Franklin Covey is still existing today, and it's really stronger than ever before. Uh, Twenty five years after the merger, and we're operating now in 150 countries around the world um, as Franklin Covey doing leadership development, and and we still do time management as well. It's just the tools has changed. No, you know, not as many people use the paper planner; they use now other tools. But I kind of we did this, ran things for a while. I ran the training and education business in the after the merger and. And did innovation and marketing and other things, but then I left on my own, and that's where I worked on the Speed of Trust book, created that, wrote that, published that, and you know formed my own firm, Covey Link, and we started to do a lot of things all over, 
And then at some point, I, um, the Franklin Covey organization said, hey, how would you like to merge the Covey Link business back into Franklin Covey so we could really leverage this? So I, I rejoined the mothership, if you will, but I kind of kept some of my own autonomy so that I really, you know, my role had shifted now to writing and speaking, whereas my first act was I was, I was a business leader. And now I found my voice with speed of trust and I had shifted my role. So I'm part of Franklin Covey. I just have some autonomy so I can kind of do what I want, when I want, where I want. So that's the full like. circle. They came back to Franklin Covey's global speed of trust. And that's what you, you have autonomy to run that piece of the business now. Yep. yep. Got it. To run that it. piece and, and, and to do my thing. And basically I write and speak. And I've kind of taken on the role my dad used to have. Uh, you know, he passed away about 10 years ago. And um, I've, I've kind of taken on a similar type of role. I'm not putting myself in his category. I think he's a unique contributor at a different level. But but I'm doing a similar type of role of writing and, and speaking um, as opposed to the business role, which is what I did in my, in my first act. Well, I want to talk about so much of your writing is around trust. And both of your books have trust in the title, and it's such a huge piece of the equation. And I've really, I have a particular interest in leadership too. I think when I was younger and being kind of entrepreneurial minded, I thought that leadership was just some inspiring, charismatic leader. And then I've, I think as I've grown over the years and learned that leadership is something you can learn. And you can get better and better and better at. And I'm a big, big believer that we can all become much better at leading. That's how I want to dive into that with you. And I want to talk about this word trust and inspiration. I would say that for our audience, too, because we're the Retire Sooner audience, and we have this mission to help a million people retire at least one year sooner. Now, we, we didn't account for the COVID early huge quit rate in America. And the retirement rate tripled under our guys. I don't think it was the Retire Sooner podcast. I'd love to give ourselves the credit. I think a lot of it was COVID. So I think we hit our million mark really quickly, but that was just demographics of what happened in, in the world. But yeah. <laughs> when you think about some of the advice that you've given over the years, and whether it's from seven habits that you have all taught about, or it's from your books, Speed of Trust and Trust and Inspire, for our audience, it's thinking about their next phase and trying to get to the next phase financially. What would you take from your teachings that would help them put themselves in a better spot in order to do that? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question, Wes, because uh, um, it's so relevant to the to the you know our to our viewers and listeners where they're at. So I would say this that. If you can, as a leader in your business, within an organization, wherever you might be, as you move towards retiring sooner, by the way, I love the premise of your podcast and what you're thank, doing, Wes. Thank you. Uh, it's terrific. And, and um, you're really focused on helping people achieve their goals, their dreams, and to do it better and sooner. And, and so this is what I'm suggesting is that if today the kind of leadership that we need is what I call trust and inspire. We need to become trust and inspire leaders. The old style of leadership, what we might call command and control, doesn't work anymore. As if it ever fully really did. And so people that continue to lead kind of in a command and control way and, you know, authoritarian or, or command and control. And, what, and what's happened is we've become better at it, more sophisticated, more advanced. I call it enlightened command and control, which is a better version of it. You know, kinder yeah. and... Involves people. Well, let's go there. What is the old school command and control? And then I love this idea of that we've almost sugar coated command and control a little bit. So what is that? I mean, I guess we we all know the old command and control is the 1950s. Do it my way or the highway. What is the what is the sugar coated version of that? Yeah. So so I call the old one authoritarian command and control. And you said it. My way or the highway. It's more dictatorial. It's more that people are grateful to have a job and. You bark out the orders, you know, and that that maybe worked in the industrial age, and and because uh, that was the norm and the societal expectations and the like. Um, that over the years we've gotten better. Here's what we've done: we've added things like emotional intelligence, which is a big breakthrough. That's critical. 
and that's improved it. We've added things like mission to it so that there's more purpose and mission involved. That's a big breakthrough as well. We've added things like strengths so that we run with people's strengths, and that's a good breakthrough. So a lot of good additions to it, but fundamentally for too many, the paradigm, the mental map of how we view people, how we view leadership still hasn't fully shifted. We still view people as we're trying to, you know, get work done through people, leverage people, um, get more out of people. People are in a sense a means to an end to accomplish the goals as opposed to being one of the ends in and of themselves. Yes, we want to get the results, but in a way that grows the people. And so we've moved from authoritarian command and control to a more enlightened command and control, which is a better version of it, a much better version, but it's still treating people more like uh, uh, things, as resources. And to your point, you know, we can learn to become good leaders. So, but we've also learned we can become good managers and we need both management and leadership. We need good management and we need good leadership, but you manage things and you lead people. And the danger of, of a command and control approach, even enlightened, is that we tend to manage people a little bit like we would things. And when you manage people like things, then you'll end up with no people and lots of things because people won't want to be a part of it, especially today. They have choices and options to go to, you know, be anywhere, work from anywhere. And they won't, you know, this whole great resignation and the great reshuffling, reexamination. If people don't feel trusted and inspired, if they don't feel like they're being led as opposed to just being managed, they'll go elsewhere. And, and so I'm just saying for our listeners, our viewers, that if you can lead in a style of leadership that is relevant for our day, for our times, then you'll be a better leader. You'll be more successful and you'll advance in your career. Your business will grow more because you're timely, you're relevant with connecting with people and how they want to be led today. If you remain trapped in the old style, even an enlightened version of it, you'll be less relevant, you'll be you'll less advanced in your career because you won't get the results and the outcomes and the people won't grow. So this is all about accelerating that path, accelerating the growth of the business, accelerating your the growth of your career by being relevant for the kind of leadership that's going to work today with people in this new world. Hey, y'all, it's Mallory Boggs, the producer for the Retire Sooner podcast. From an investment standpoint, the world is changing. We've gone from no inflation to hyperinflation, zero interest rates to much higher interest rates. All of this changes the dynamics for stocks and bonds. So the question for you, are your retirement accounts ready for it? Have you adapted your investments for these major shifts? Do you know what kind of income your 401k account is going to pay you in retirement? If not, maybe it's time for a new perspective. The Retire Sooner team is here to help. If you're ready to talk, reach out to our team and we'll help you take a closer look at how you can generate income in retirement and protect yourself from inflation. We'd love to hear from you. Again, find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So let's go to this core theme of trust. If you continue to evolve from command control to enlightened command control, and, and what you talk about with Trust and Inspire and the Speed of Trust is really kind of another evolution of that. And describe to our audience, if they haven't read Speed of Trust or, or your brand new book, how is that at the core of what we do? Are we, as leaders, are we supposed to trust that someone has our same end in mind? Are they the same mission? Talk to me about that level of trust from person to person. From yeah, family. yeah. So what I would say is that, because, you know, Wes, you love leadership. The heart of great leadership is trust. Now, you need to do more things, but if, if you haven't built trust, you're not leading. If there's not trust in you, you're not leading. You might be managing. You might be administering. 
but you're not leading without trust. I love how Warren Bennis put it. He said, leadership without mutual trust is a contradiction in terms. <laughs> so you, trust is foundational. Now, so here's the way of thinking about it. It all starts first by looking in the mirror. Self-trust. Do I trust myself? Do I trust myself? And that's important for all of our viewers and listeners that that self-trust is critical. That's part of retiring sooner is that, you know, I have a self, I have a sense of self of who I am. I have confidence in myself, my character, my competence, my credibility. And the higher I move up in my character, my competence, so I'm more credible and I have a higher self-trust then the more impact I'm going to have the more I can build trust with others, the more advanced I'll become in my career. And it's both the character side and the competence side. So it's not enough just to be honest and caring if we don't deliver and can't perform. So we got to make sure we have the competence side and we, we're building our capabilities, our talents, our skills, our expertise, our knowledge. So we're always relevant in a changing world. And then we have a track record of results of performance. So people know we do what we say we're going to do. We deliver. And, and, um, that's the competence half of trust and the character half. We want both. So that's the self-trust. And so the whole idea is, do I trust myself? And is it smart for others to trust me because of who I am? But then once you start with self-trust, you can now ripple out. I use a metaphor of the ripple effect. You know, the drop of water comes down, the ripples, the waves, they start at the inside, they ripple out. I start with myself and then I ripple out to my relationships, building that trust one-on-one. -on -one. So I build trust in, in personal relationships, in one-on-one -on -one team relationships so that people know they can trust me and I can learn to trust them. And that's both being trustworthy and being trusting to create trust in a relationship. And then I build it on my team. I ripple out from my relationships to my team. If I'm a leader of a team, I try to build a high trust team because high trust teams can collaborate better. They can innovate better. You'll engage your people more. They'll perform better. Overwhelming data. You'll succeed better if there's trust. If you don't have trust, you're not really a team. You're just a group of individuals working on a project. Trust turns a group into a team. Then you move from your team to the other teams you interact with. You ripple out from there, you know, kind of the, or the organizational trust. And then you move from your organization inside out into the marketplace with customers and partners. Build marketplace trust, customer trust, stakeholder trust. And then you ripple out from there into all society. So does this help us unleash this, let's call it the capacity and the potential of those around us? Is that part, Absolutely. is that a huge part of this? It's a huge part of it. In fact, the subtitle of the Trust and Inspire book is how truly great leaders unleash greatness in others. Only, yeah. And, you know, so if you're a leader and there's all this potential and talent, creativity, ingenuity, capacity, energy, ability, within your people, within your team. And too many leaders are back in the command and control. I, I try to contain people, control people. A trust and inspire leader is saying, how do I see that potential, that greatness? How do I communicate it to them so they come to see it themselves? How do I develop it by giving them opportunities and extending trust to them to take on projects and to lead teams and to lead initiatives so they develop their capacity? And then how do I unleash it for the benefit of our customers, our clients, the marketplace, for our company. And, and so I am doing exactly that, Wes. I'm trying to, to unleash the capabilities, the talent that's inside of people. And, you know, and, and I'm, a, I'm a leader because I see that. And I try to unleash it versus trying to contain it or control it, or maybe only seeing it in a few. The idea that there's high potentials and everyone else doesn't have that greatness. And, you know, but I'm not tapping into the possibilities that's out there. So that's, I'm saying this style of leadership, trust and inspire, unleashes talent and creativity and ingenuity and potential and capacity, greatness that people have inside of them in a way that command and control never can or will. Mm, and there's too much left so, on the so table true. in command and control. You don't collaborate, you don't innovate, and the greatness doesn't come out. It might come out with some because they're just so strong, but, there, but there's many others that have it in them that but they need a leader who sees it and who creates the conditions for them to flourish. I liken it to a, like a gardener and, you know, they plant seeds. Well, the power's in the seed. The life is in the seed. The gardener's trying to create the conditions for the seed to blossom. And, you know, people are like seeds. They have greatness inside of them. 
as leaders, we're like the gardener. We're trying to create the right conditions. Sun. And, and I love that. Conditions to flourish. Conditions to flourish. I love that. Now, what do you think has happened? Obviously, COVID was a major life change in so many ways. Business, life, family, location, geographically, career. And then you saw it led to the highest quit rate or resignation rate. Didn't mean that everybody retired early, even though a lot of people did. Uh, you had people changing jobs. That is such a fascinating topic to me because it both happened within the workforce. People moved. Uh, and then we had people that actually decided to stop working and just go just retire a year or two early. So you saw the, these numbers, the quit rate through the roof, the great resignation through the roof, and then people just retiring early through the roof. All that happened throughout COVID. What is your take on that mass demographic shift that we've seen? Yeah, I think it reflects um, kind of what's happening in society. And it just accelerated everything. We were started down this path, but suddenly when people now were working from home or working from anywhere or doing remote work, many for the first time, they started to ask the questions of, hey, this seems like it could work. Why am I living in a place where I don't want to be living because I, I had this job when I could maybe live where I want to live and still work with a company that I want to work with? That possibility was hardly seen before. COVID accelerated that, you know, the possibilities for that. But it also really got people thinking of, is it worth it, my current situation? You know, and do I want to go back to this when, as we make our way through this pandemic and do I want to go back every day into an office where maybe I like kind of working from home, or at least maybe I want a hybrid situation? People started to ask the, is it worth it question? Because they, they're thinking now, not just about the, my career and the money I'm being paid, but the other things I'm balancing in my life, my well-being and my family. And, and so, so, you know, is it worth it? That question they started to ask in a way that they hadn't as much before, more people at least asking it. And, and, um, but people just have more choices and options today than they did before. And they're also prioritizing things perhaps a little bit differently than they did before. And my whole point is though, that all this was, we were moving towards this COVID accelerated at probably by a factor of 10. It just, it just moved it faster through this. So a lot more people were really saying, is this what I really want? Is this what life is all about? And, and, and now that I've got choices and options I didn't have before, maybe I want to go to a different company or maybe I want to actually do something different with my life. And so some retired. And, but I think many are just kind of also looking for their next move, their next opportunity as they balance this out and they see how this shakes out. And what I'm suggesting is that because of this new environment, this new world, of work, it's all the more reason why we need to be trust and inspire in our leadership approach because command and control is not going to draw people back in. And it's not going to, you know, people don't want that. They become more clear that they want more autonomy and they want more freedom. They want more flexibility. They want more options. They want to prioritize their health or their family or their well being and to be told how to do it and where to do it as opposed to have flexibility and choices and options doesn't work. So trust and inspire is far more relevant for this new world of work. And, you know, whether it's fully remote or, or all on site or a hybrid, and it's going to probably be combinations of all of these, the philosophy of trusting your people, inspiring them, instead of limiting them, containing them, controlling them, it's just different in kind. It looks different. It feels different. People respond different. So for any person, you're going to move farther in your career. You'll advance better because you'll get better results and keep the people and grow the people with a style of leadership that is relevant for today. And I think, Stephen, that goes back to so many retirees or let's say less conventional than the, yeah. the 1950s and 60s retirement that was very black and white, you know, work, 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 and then not. Now it's very common for someone to have a part-time job or some sort of uh, maybe it's a hobby income, or maybe it's just much more part-time work in a field that they enjoy even more. Maybe the money's not where it was when they're in their peak earning years, but for the 
early retiree or any retiree that is working, let's say, in some capacity, yeah. that maybe that's part of the plan. You're just suggesting that business leaders need to really take even more so this into kind of into practice to help that group or inspire that group, which is a very different group. They don't really have to work. They're doing this really for almost as a one of their core pursuits in life as they get into early retirement. Absolutely. So it applies to that group as well that maybe I'll be more apt to want to do that if I feel like I'm doing something meaningful, something of purpose, something that matters. So, you know, maybe I maybe I want to do it part time. Or, you know, but the whole idea is that it's contribution, it's purpose, it's meaning, it's mattering. And, and I want, I maybe want to matter. So if I can tap into that, that's the, that's the inspire part in trust and inspire. You know, first of all, we want to be trusted that we can do this. We can figure it out. I've got someone that has my back and that believes in me and is giving me the chance to do my thing. That will draw people into doing it. And, and if we're one of those, you know, part-time workers, we'll be far more likely to maybe work with a team or a group or an opportunity if, if people trust us than if they're trying to manage us and, you know, and, and where they're more coaching rather than managing and trust, extending trust to us. We, if we feel that, we'll be more apt to do that and want to do it. And then if you could add to it, not only being trusted, but being inspired, both because the people we're working with, they, they connect with us as human beings through caring and through a sense of belonging. So I'm part of something. I belong to something that matters, that's meaningful. And I feel a sense of caring. And also, if they connect us to purpose and to meaning, to contribution, you know, to, to mattering, to why this matters, why this can make a difference in the world, that will inspire people. And when people feel inspired, they perform better. They have more energy, more joy, more happiness, more well-being. And they perform better. And um, everyone wins. I think inspiration is the next frontier of you know, the next level of engagement. Inspiration, the next frontier. The next frontier. I like that. It's, you know, we've been focused on engagement, which is a good thing, and we're still there. But there's another frontier beyond engagement. That's to be inspired, not just engaged. Wow, that to inspire means to breathe life into. And so, you know, it's not just motivation. Motivation is carrot and stick. That could be very much command and control. Nothing inherently wrong with it, but it works. It motivates people to want to get more rewards. But inspiration is like lighting the fire within someone that can burn on for years without having to constantly be fed. And because someone feels like what they're doing matters, that they matter. There's purpose. And so I think that that's, that's critical that we can tap into. And I even think for people who retire sooner, you might retire from your job. You might retire from a particular type of work, but we never want to retire from contributions, from, you know, contributing to people and to society, because that's where there's great joy and fulfillment. So, and in fact, one of the reasons sometimes people want to retire sooner is so they can really do the things that they really love to do and want to do that may or may not be tied to an economic engine, but they want to do it. They want, they have passions, they have interests. And so, yes, maybe retire from a job, but don't retire from making contributions and making I love that. Never retire from contributions. I love that. How do we apply this back to relationships? So it's our family and our friends. And how do you think this plays into that? Because that's not, you know, again, relationship is not, not supposed to have ever been command and control. It's supposed yeah. to. <laughs> so how does this apply to that? Yeah. Think about it. The happiest relationships we have, the best relationships, the most enduring ones are those in which we trust each other, where mm -hmm. people can That's trust so each true. other. In fact, if you think about it, the very definition of a bad relationship is distrust. I, I don't trust the person. Yeah. You know, I, I just can't trust them or don't trust them. Or That's how we would define a bad relationship as, yeah. is no trust. And that's no fun. It's not happy and joyful. It's not creative. But when there's trust, mutual trust, you know, both because we're both trustworthy, but also we're trusting. That's where the greatest joy, energy is. And there's all this data that shows that people who trust more 
they're happier, they're healthier, and they live longer than people who don't. And again, I'm not asking people to just blindly trust others. You know, that's not smart. I call it smart trust. You know, you got to use good judgment and you assess the situation and you assess the risk involved and the credibility of the person and the people involved so that it's not just blindly trusting anyone and everyone. That wouldn't be smart. It's a smart trust, but it's basically saying, look, my bias, my starting point, my desire would be to extend trust. Now, if someone's proven themselves- I'm going to start by trusting you unless I've proven otherwise. Exactly. That's my starting point in a relationship. And I treat people according to their potential, not just their behavior. And I tend to bring the best out in them because to be trusted is the most inspiring form of human motivation, what it does to people. So if I start with that and give people a chance to live up to it, many will. If someone doesn't, and they consistently abuse the trust or take advantage, then at some point I'm going to say, I'm not going to trust anymore <laughs> there. But it's, you know, it's a better starting point. You'll go farther, faster, it's happier. So I just, this is the essence of great relationships, a high trust relationship. And, and, um, and, and the neuroscience on this is overwhelming of how it creates energy and joy and happiness, fun. You know, it's so fun to be part of a high trust team, a high trust culture. It's energizing and low trust teams, low trust cultures, low trust relationships are exhausting. And no yeah, they're almost paralyzing. They're paralyzed. Paralyzing. Yeah. This is such an interesting word. You know, the word trust is something that feels like it's made up of so many little components over years and years and time. Yeah. It's not inherent, I guess, because it's or at least gaining someone's trust. Let's look at it that way first. It's not inherent necessarily because it, or maybe is it, because it's a series of, I prove to you that you can trust me. Maybe to repair trust or to be better at being trusted. Are there behaviors that you believe that can either hurt? Like what's the most damaging behavior to, to eliminate trust? And then on the other side of the equation to build that trust, what behaviors could you talk about? Your question is beautiful because you can build trust on purpose, intentionally. Just like you can lose trust, you can also gain it. And there's some behaviors that are more important than others that will build it faster or destroy it faster. And when it comes to restoring trust, here's the key principle. When it comes to restoring trust, you can't talk your way out of a problem that you behaved your way into. (laughs) So if if I've lost someone's trust because of my behavior, Words alone won't get it back. <laughs> the, o- the only way I'm going to get it back is if I behave my way back into trust. And it will take some time. And I've got to have someone also willing to let me do that, to behave my way back into trust. But I believe in most situations, maybe not everyone, but in most, it's possible to restore trust if we're willing to behave our way back into it. Mm. So that would include things like, you know, practicing accountability is a behavior that builds trust, owning it, taking responsibility. It's hard to restore trust with someone if you say, it's not my fault, it's theirs. You point the finger and blame. But when you say, look, this is my responsibility, we lost trust, I take it, I own it. That People are saying, thank you for taking that responsibility. But if it's, it's their fault, so that's why we lost trust, it's her fault, his fault. That, that's harder to do that. Then after owning it, practicing accountability, I, I right the wrong. You make it right when you're wrong. It might include an apology, especially in a personal relationship, or it might include making restitution, a legal concept to try to make it whole, make it right when you're wrong. And then I want to clarify expectations going forward of what I'm going to do to try to reestablish, regain, grow back the trust that I had lost. And then the most important thing, I now need to do what I just said I was going to do. Follow through. Yeah. And I, I make a commitment and I keep it. Make another commitment to keep it. I said I was going to do it. I do it. I do what I say I'm going to do. If you consistently start to do that, it's possible in most situations to behave your way back into trust by doing what you say you're going to do. And so, there's, you know, some of those are the key behaviors. Maybe the fastest way to lose trust is when you make a commitment and then break it. Make another commitment and break it. And people come to say, look, I don't trust a word I hear from than this person. 
because they don't do what they say they're going to do. And you can't rely upon it. Another is when they spin or, or just flat out lie. They don't tell the truth. They don't talk straight. And, and so I start to wonder every time they're talking, I don't fully believe what I'm hearing either because they're lying. But most people have learned that lying doesn't work. But the more common thing is that they do a counterfeit version of it. They're spinning. Spinning. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. They're telling people what they want to hear, not the truth. And I've learned, I just can't quite trust what they're saying. So actually in the speed of trust, I've identified 13 high leverage behaviors that that build trust fast or destroy it fast. And I've named five or six of them. Talk straight, demonstrate respect, create transparency, right wrongs, deliver results, clarify expectations, practice accountability, listen first. It's a great trust builder. Keep commitments, maybe the biggest of them all. And finally, Wes, I'm going to say extend trust. It's funny that one of the best Mm -hmm. ways to build trust is simply to give trust. Because of how when people, when you trust people, they tend to trust you back. Yeah. And when you, when you withhold it, they tend to withhold it. You know, I think we live in a world that is, it's almost all spin. Like the whole, everything is spin. Totally. And I think that recognizing that that is just so commonplace, that spin is a version of, you called it a counterfeit. A counterfeit. And if we can get away from a world that just, almost accepts everything is spin, spin, spin. So really be honest and forthright about anything that's happening around us in our personal lives and, and business as well. It does engender a massive amount of trust, taking the spin away. Just taking the spin away. And it may be that at first it's almost countercultural in some organizations where everyone's spinning, but you be consistent with it. Over time, people will find it so refreshing because with everyone else, when they're spinning, they're discounting it. They're diluting it. They're taxing it. They're saying, "That's what do they really mean? They're interpreting it. If you get known as a straight talker, straight shooter, you're just going to, you know, use simple language, call things what they are, not sugarcoating it, not spinning it. Then you start to get that reputation of just a straight talker and you start to precede you. You build trust faster. Hey, you'll be interested in this, Wes. Barbara Rittenhouse is a friend of mine. And she's on New York City. She's got what she calls the Rittenhouse Rankings, where she takes the annual report letter from the CEO and analyzes it against this artificial intelligence-based criteria of how much straight talk is in this letter versus how much spin. How much, (laughs) you know, observation, you know, the, the fog that they're putting out. And then, but it's all artificial intelligence based against criteria. She can take all the letters and then she maps it up with how much straight talk it is, how much spin it is. And then she correlates that to their financial performance. And, mm. and as you would expect, the, the CEOs that are talking straight, they're performing better. The CEOs that are not, are not performing well. And the question is, which came first? <laughs> you know, <laughs> the spin and the, the distrust or the lack of performance, you know, and it's both. They're probably both in hand and glove. But the point is that, you know, you move f- further in your career when you build trust and you build trust when you tell the truth and call things what they are. You know, I can think about the most unspin letters would be from Buffett, right? Warren Buffett's yep. annual letters. I bet they get a pretty high no spin grade. It, it, high no spin. House. He's straightforward. He just calls it what it is. He'll say, I blew it. I, I you know, I, fault me for dithering and my mistake, my fault. He just owns it, takes responsibility, calls it like it is, even when he calls himself out. Yeah, and it's just so refreshing. But look, yeah. look at his reputation. You go in, he he's trusted. Yeah. He's so credible because he'll even take you know call himself out. <laughs> I guess that's a maybe a, a question for you. Maybe your most trusted. What's an example? I mean, Buffett's a great example of a really trusted leader. Uh, what's another example of a leader that you love? Yeah, yeah. I'll give a few here. Eric Yuan, founder mm-hmm. of Zoom. Extraordinary. He's a trust and inspire leader. Starts on trust. And even, even when Zoom, got, you know, when the huge run up, they, I think they went from 10 million users to 200 million users in a month when the pandemic hit. And there were some issues around security. He just owned it, took responsibility, didn't blame, 
just owned it and said, we got to restore your trust and, and regain it. And they did. They, they did things immediately. He's an extraordinary leader. Satya Nadella at Microsoft. He's a trusted, inspired leader. How he's really revitalized Microsoft under his leadership. He's a great example of, I, I call these the three stewardships of a trusted, inspired leader. You model, you trust, and you inspire. So you model the behavior that you're wanting and you go first. He's done that. You know, he, led, he leads with humility and courage. He trusts. He trusts people. He extends that trust. And he inspires both through caring but also connecting to purpose. And look at what Microsoft has done in the last mm. seven years under his leadership. They went from, I think, you know, they're one of only two companies in the world valued at $2 trillion, them right. and Apple. Yeah. And he went from a stock price of 38 to 300 under his yeah. leadership. And they're a great place to work. They're innovating again. He's a trust inspired leader. Cheryl Batchelder, she was the CEO of Popeyes, the turnaround Popeyes. You know, they'd had four CEOs in the prior seven years before Cheryl came in, you know, the chicken franchise firm. Sure. And there was acrimony yeah. between the franchisees and the home office. They didn't trust each other. They didn't like each other. And, you know, she comes in and, and, and she told Wall Street, you're not my first priority. My first priority is my franchisees and building a high trust relationship. And then she went first. She modeled the behavior to give them leaders that they could trust. And then she extended trust to them. Then she also focused on the caring that inspired them and the, the purpose and dramatic improvement. Their stock price, I think, went from 11 to 79 under her leadership. They doubled their market share, 14% to 27%. You know, so these trust and inspired leaders are getting results. Mm. They're strong. They're not, it's not, this is not Pollyannish of just trust everyone. You know, that would be abdicate and abandon. See, the opposite of command and control is not trust and inspire. The opposite is abdicate and, uh, and abandon. Mm. So if, if command and control is excessively hands-on, abdicate and, and abandon is completely hands-off. And that's not going to work. That's not that's leading. Work, yeah. Yeah. Trust and inspire is a third alternative. It's hand in hand. And you can, it's being strong without being forceful. It's being authoritative without being authoritarian. It's being decisive without being unilateral or autocratic. It's being in charge and in control without being controlling. You do it through an agreement that you build together. You create together. It's hand in hand. And so it's strong leadership that gets results and does it in a way that grows the people so you can get more results in the future. The leaders that can do this today, whether you're in an organization today or you're retired, this whole idea of this is a better way to lead, to live, is going to, you know, a rising tide lifts every boat. And this is, this is going to do that. It's going to unleash the greatness inside of our teams, our organizations, bring out the best in, in people everywhere, even for parents and grandparents. <laughs> to be a trust and inspire parent, trust and inspire grandparent or aunt or uncle or friend or godfather, you know, godmother, whatever it might be, this, what a better way to lead you know, in our, in our homes, in our communities, in our neighborhoods. So it's not just for business, it's for life. It's an approach to life, trust and inspire a better way to lead and to live. And one last thing as we wrap up again, there are, to your point, back when your organization uh, merged, I guess, with the Franklin yeah. was a, the Covey Group at one point. Yeah, right? the, the Covey Group, Covey Leadership Center merged with Franklin Quest to form Franklin Covey. Franklin Quest, that's right. And and now here we are with your Franklin Covey Global. Mm-hmm. Leadership training seems very, very fragmented to me. Like the, one of the most fragmented things I could possibly yeah. think of. Is that because it's so person to person? And where do you look if you're a small company, medium company, big company? Who are the places to go to? Is your organization one of them that trains groups and teams? Do you have any other recommendations for people to take back to their employer or if you're a yeah. CEO listening? What's a, just a good resource to look and compare at different leadership training type institutes for a variety of different industries and company sizes? Great question. It is a very highly fragmented industry. And there have been some roll-ups, you know, that of companies that tried to roll them up. But the problem is, you can roll up the business, but not the philosophy. <laughs> People have different approaches to how they approach this. I think that's okay. I think the main thing is look for people and organizations that are focused on principles, not just on techniques 
and practices only, but more of a principle-based approach that can endure, that can cross cultures. And sometimes there's stuff that's too much personality ethic oriented, technique oriented, and that doesn't have staying power. And so you could look anywhere. We obviously, I'm biased, of course, with, with what we do at Franklin Covey, because we have, that's a, okay. we have a holistic <laughs> approach towards leadership that we focus on principles, enduring principles that cross cultures. Like, for example, you know, the idea of, of uh, trust is a principle that works and anywhere. And, you know, how you would build that and apply it would be influenced by your context. So, you know, one of the principles that builds trust is truth. We call it talking straight. But talk straight might look different, let's say, in the Netherlands than it does in Japan. You know, the Dutch in the Netherlands, they're notorious straight talkers. They're just blunt to the point. In Japan, they're far more nuanced. But the principle is truth. I'm trying to convey truth. But how that is manifest in the culture, the practice of it, it's going to look different in different contexts. But if you're focused on principles, you'll move ahead. And your part of that is the speed of trust practice, correct? The speed of trust practice that builds high trust teams, high trust cultures. And now, to your point earlier, Wes, this new book, Trust and Inspire, that is a leadership book where I'm trying to say leaders everywhere, in all walks of life, in any phase of the organization, the style of leadership that's needed today is is trust and inspire. I'm trying to name what we're moving toward because we're more clear that command and control doesn't work anymore. Most everyone would say, yeah, I kind of agree with that. They're less clear on what are we moving toward? Where we're going. Yeah, we're going. You're you're advocating that we're, look, we're going towards trust and And inspiration. Yeah. Trust and inspire is the new way to lead. It's awesome. And and you model, you trust, you inspire. That's going to bring out the best in people. It'll bring out the best in ourselves. It'll be relevant for this new world of work and we'll all do better. It'll be a rising tide and the old model will not get us to where we need to go today. And that was be- true before the pandemic, but it's become more true coming out of it yeah, than, more, than ever before. More true than ever. So more true than uh, ever. wonderful, wonderful for you to be here with us, Stephen M. R. Covey. Thank you so much for your time and your beautiful home from Sundance, Utah. Thank you for taking some time. I guess there's no more snow there, right? It's it's your past ski season. So ski season's ended at Sundance. There's still a few places where we got snow, a few resorts still open, but it, it's spring skiing, which is not always the best snow. But but yeah, you're right. No, well, thank you, Wes. I love what you're doing. And and again, I come back to as an inspiring thought, hopefully for all of us, is yes, maybe retire from a job or something like that, but never retire from making contributions because In the end, life is about contribution, even more than accumulation. And sometimes we try to do things in order to continue to make a difference in the world. We need that in our world today. And that's a great empowering and inspiring thought for all of us is is that we can live lives of great significance, making a difference, mattering, if we always focus on what's ahead of us. My father actually is coming out with a new book on this very topic. It was a book he was working on before he passed away. And now my sister is finishing it with him and it's called live life in crescendo. And the idea is that your most important work is always in front of you. It may not be a job, but it may be a contribution and it could be as as simple as a contribution to a relationship to build that relationship with a grandchild or with a friend that that's a contribution and to, to see life that way, that your greatest contribution is always in front of you. Oof. Love that. We're going to put that in the studio here. I love it. Well, listen, Stephen, thank you, my friend. Uh, let's be in touch. I'd love to hear uh, when that book comes out too. But uh, I wish you the best for your continued success and the growth of the business and to continue to sell. You've already sold millions of copies. I wish you to sell millions more. Thanks so much. So great to be with you, Wes, and to be with all our viewers and listeners. Really appreciate this and love the, love the conversation. Hope you found it helpful. Hey, y'all, this is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure.
This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information.